Hello and welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show, where I'm very pleased to bring you someone who is doing something very courageous, um, really for the good of people, for people everywhere, to warn them about uh, what her family has experienced. Cassie Yoder is a nurse. She is a loving daughter of a father who has passed away a couple weeks after getting a COVID vaccine. You're going to want to stay tuned to listen to this. Cassie, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We'll begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Cassie Yoder, uh, you are a nurse. Um, a, a uh, you know, your dad just passed away uh, very, very recently. Uh, thank you for coming on and doing this. I, I, I know it takes a lot, and, and your family's experienced a lot. Maybe we can start with, um, you know, your story. Tell us what happened with your dad, uh, with the vaccine, and um, where you are right now. My dad, his name is John. He had the vaccine. He had the G and J vaccine on April first. Um, he had received permission by his primary care provider to go ahead and, and get that vaccine. Um, he had COVID in November and he recovered. Um, he had minimal symptoms with the COVID. Um, he had some loss of taste and loss of smell and then some tiredness. Um, otherwise, he, re- he seemed to recover fine from that and didn't have any um, issues after that. So on April 1st, he um, received the J&J vaccine. And two weeks later, on the 14th, he started to experience some shortness of breath. And so he went into the ER, and they, he does have some comorbidities, so he does have hypertension and COPD. So they thought that it was a flare-up of a COPD. So they had done some breathing treatments with him. Um, he was admitted to med surge on the 14th. And the breathing, they actually sent him over to ICU on the 15th so he could be on the BiPAP machine for some more breathing support. Um, that hospital's protocol was if you're on the BiPAP machine that you were in the ICU. One of the nurses had told me um, at that point that he was doing well, that he got into bed by himself. Um, she had asked him if he wanted her to call any family and let them know that he was there. And he's like, oh, no, you have my brother's Joe, my brother Joe's number. You'll, you know, I'll be fine. Um, he actually talked to my brother while he was in the ER and said, oh, I'll be out tomorrow. And they were kind of joking around. And um, so he was just expected, you know, to walk out of there. However, um, she said that after he had gotten into bed, he seemed to be doing okay on the BiPAP machine. She said he went into respiratory failure and they, it was kind of a mystery as to why they didn't understand why um, they had done a CT scan actually, which showed a small pulmonary embolism. And then he went into he went into respiratory failure and they couldn't understand why such a small pulmonary embolism would cause him to go into respiratory failure like that. They had intubated him and put him in a medically induced coma. Um, that was on Thursday. Friday is when I arrived. Um, at that time, they have, you know, they have the COVID protocols in place. So I did have to meet with, you know, the floor manager and she had to meet with some people in order for me to get in there with dad. Um, I was able to be there 
um, with him the whole time. I, I left and stayed at a hotel at, at night and then I stayed with him during the day. Every day then we kind of were just expecting him to come off the vent. We're waiting for him to wake up. Um, for the first few days, they just let him rest, let his lungs rest. They were kind of like, well, COPDers are sometimes harder to get off the vent. We're just going to let him rest. His blood pressure kept climbing up there a little bit, so they just wanted to let him rest for a while. Um, the first day that they tried sedation vocation, so they tried taking him off sedation, um, his blood pressure just got too high, so they put him back on the sedation. And then they, did a, they actually did a CT scan of his head. Um, I believe that was on the 20th. And they found that he had a stroke. So we are still expecting him to wake up at that time. Um, the doctor had talked to me about how he may wake up with some deficits, how he may need some therapy, how he may need some transitional care. Um, so that was already a shocker for us. We weren't expecting that. We just thought that, you know, he was having some breathing issues with the pulmonary embolism and the COPD. And then we learned that he had a stroke. Still expecting to wake up. Um, they had taken him off sedation. And they were given him quite a few meds for um, blood pressure. His blood pressure kept getting up there. So for hypertension, they kept giving him plenty of medications for that so we could keep him off sedation. And he was off for 24 hours. And that night is the night that I spent the night there. The nurses pulled a cot in for me. He was expected to wake up. I wanted to be there when he woke up. However, after 24 hours, he did not wake up. And they did an MRI which showed a severe left-sided stroke, the reason why he wasn't waking up and he wasn't expected to wake up. That was on the 22nd. Um, he was extubated at 7.30 p.m. and he passed away around 10.45 p.m. So, I mean, what a what a thing. You had, he had COVID in November, recovered from it, um, and uh, it, it seemingly wasn't that bad for him, yet he gets the vaccine in April, um, and then a couple of weeks later, finds himself in hospital and a week later again, finds himself uh, passed away. Um, just an unbelievable sequence of, uh, of events. One of the things I want to look at with you is just a clip of a Dr. Yaden, who has been, uh, he was a former vice president of Pfizer. Uh, he warned strenuously against taking the COVID vaccine if you've already had COVID, saying that it would uh, it could result in a severe consequences. Let's have a look. I would say if you are not at elevated risk of dying if infected, please do not have the vaccine. Now, I'm not anti-vax, I'm pro-safe medicines. Don't take it because you don't have an elevated risk that needs reducer. It would be like giving a 20-year-old a flu vaccine. They probably wouldn't come, would they? Because they would say, I'm not at risk. Why are you offering me this damn vaccine? Uh, but I can tell you, if you're 20, your, your risk of dying from influenza is very low, but it's higher than the chance of you dying of COVID-19. Cassie, given your experience as a nurse uh, and uh, from what you've seen from your dad, uh, what, do you, what do you make of that, which Dr. Yeadon just said? I definitely believe that there's an increased risk just by different research papers that I've read myself. Um, there's a few other doc doctors that I've read similar um, research from. One of the things that is really um, a, a hardship here is people are being so pressured uh, into getting this vaccine, even though uh, they've had COVID and therefore have the antibodies. We are just publishing a study um, at LifeSite this week about, uh, or, or perhaps maybe already, but um, that, uh, you know, those who have had 
COVID. Their antibodies are against COVID are lasting long periods of time. Um, and yet, you know, people are being forced into the vaccines anyway. Was your dad pressured uh, into getting the vaccine? Absolutely. I believe that he was pressured just by um, the propaganda around COVID. Um, he had told my sister, because my sister asked him not to get the vaccine. She said, please get your antibodies checked first. Um, and he was so scared that he was going to die if he got COVID again, that he um, was pretty much feared into getting it. One of the other aspects of your story that is is very concerning is what happened uh, with regard to the reporting of uh, of your dad's passing. Uh, we know there's a Veras database that's supposed to be, um, you know, putting in adverse effects, uh, adverse events from vaccine. Um, how did what happened there with your case? So I had brought it up to the doctors that because at this point the J and J was on pause. So I really feel like that was already an eye opener for a lot of physicians. Um, with it being paused at that time, you know the CDC was saying if you have any symptoms of blood clots, you need to seek emergent help. If you have any symptoms of, you need to be monitoring for any symptoms of blood clots within three weeks of receiving this and it need, and then you need to seek emergent help. So with the symptoms that dad was having, which was shortness of breath, which obviously, um, you know, the diagnosis showed that it was the pulmonary embolism and then the stroke, you know, those are both blood clotting issues. And so that, I think that with the J&J being paused and being able to speak with the providers very openly about these are supposed to be reported to VAERS. These are supposed to, you know, these are, are in direct correlation with each other. That the first doctor, he did mention, he said, because I, I don't remember how many cases it was, why they why they paused the J&J. It was something ridiculous, like six cases that were reported. And that was the reason why they were pausing it. And you know, we were discussing it and he said, yeah, I'm sure that there's a lot more swept under the rug than what we can actually see. And so he did report the pulmonary embolism. The second doctor did report the stroke. We had been talking to him also about the vaccine. At the time of extubation, um, we at, he was in the room with us as we extubated dad. And, you know, we were discussing the science behind the vaccine. We were discussing the vaccine with him. And he mentioned, he said, if this was my father, I would be concerned that it was the vaccine as well. Hmm. Um, so they were seeing the direct correlation with it. He did report the stroke. However, after dad passed, it was never updated to death. Um, at that point, we were in no state of mind to um, you know, request that. I did call the CDC or the VAERS reporting site three different times. I left two voicemails. I spoke with a person who stated that she would relay my message and have somebody contact me back. And I also emailed them twice, requesting that dad's bears reports were updated to death because I believe that the public has, has the right to know this. Um, however, no one had, to this day, no one has contacted me back. It's been a month now. It's been over a month. So yesterday I actually went and self-reported um, his death and I did reference dad's other bears reports. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. These are, these are of course, voluntary reports. Uh, we, we, uh, covered the fact that, you know, one study, a Harvard Pilgrim study showed that likely only one to 10% of actual adverse uh, effects get reported anyway. Um, many, many don't. And so seeing this is, is very important. We've seen also the, the 
research that shows that blood clotting is uh, is really prevalent. And we just had last week the report of 18 teenagers uh, in Connecticut alone uh, who were uh, all hospitalized because of uh, cardiovascular issues after the vaccine. What are your fi- final parting thoughts on on what's going on now? Why did you come forward now? I know your your family is grieving. Um, why come forward now? I hope that in telling dad's story that um, it won't just be another number. I feel like with the VAERS reportings, um, it's just numbers to people. You know, they don't connect the numbers to actual people. Like my dad, you know, is a father and a son and a brother. And he's a person that was loved and that was very loving. And I want people to connect these incidences to lives, you know, and I'm hoping that it can save somebody else's life from going through what we've had to go through. Absolutely. He was, uh, John, your dad was father of four, uh, children, four beautiful children. Um, and, um, let's hope and pray for him and that his life might be a witness to, uh, many of the people who are being urged and, and coerced into taking this vaccine that, that obviously is dangerous, especially dangerous for young people who have absolutely no need of this whatsoever. They have zero uh, risk of, of severe consequences from this uh, coronavirus itself, but also especially for those who have had COVID already and have the antibodies uh, because of the increased uh, likelihood of adverse effects that they, can, that they can have. Cassie, I wanted to just extend our condolences on the passing of your father and uh, you. You know, be assured of our prayers. And also thank you for being willing to speak out uh, despite the hardship of it. May God bless you. God bless you too. Thank you. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we're communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to LifeSiteNews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are 
an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.